Welcome to GMF's Out of Order podcast. My name is uh, Laura Basani. I am the program manager for the Weather Atlantic program at GMF Brussels and your host for today's conversation. Um, I have the pleasure to be here with Anna Cavazzini. She's a member of the European Parliament with the Greens European Free Alliance Group. In the European Parliament, she chairs the Committee on Internal Market and Consumer Protection. She's also the vice chair of the EP's Brazil delegation and sits in the International Trade Committee. Anna, welcome and thank you very much for being here with us today. Hello, good morning. Um, so today our conversation will be focused on trade, supply chain and sustainability policies. Um, and the starting point of this conversation is the new EU policy introducing a mandatory due diligence mechanism in supply chains. Um, this policy's goal is to make sure that companies are legally bound to take the necessary steps to prevent human and environmental rights violation across their own production chains. This has become a major concern over the past decades as production chains um, have become longer, more complex um, and uh, split between several countries but also as consumers have become more aware um, of their choices um, and of the kind of business conduct that they support with their purchases. Um, and although voluntary due diligence instruments exist, like the UN guiding principle on business and human rights, they have failed to keep companies uh, adequately accountable, let's say. So this EU policy is an incredible step forward uh, in the field of business and human rights and corporate social responsibility. And it would be great, Anna, if you could describe the main elements, the main features of this instrument, and what will this add to the existing mechanism of due diligence in international law? Yeah, thank you for inviting me to this important uh, conversation. Indeed, um, mandatory due diligence is a big concern of a lot of members of the European Parliament for a couple of years. Um, we had been pushing in the past hard for getting such a law. And now the big news came out. Uh, the Commission will propose mandatory due diligence um, legislation in, in June or July this year. So this is very big news. The Parliament itself is already um, positioning itself on on what the Parliament wants to have in such legislation. And this I can probably quickly summarize. So we want um, that companies um, really exercise due diligence along the entire supply chains and that all the companies have to do it um, who are operating on the EU um, single market. Um, also SMEs when they are um, active in risk areas or when they're like um, at the stock market. Um, for us, it is very important to not only look at the so-called classical human rights violation, but also at environmental violation, as you said it, because we see a lot of cases in um, the global south where um, big uh, international companies um, really have a very, very bad impact on the environment, which at the end also has a very negative impact on the communities, for, for example, indigenous communities. And the third point, very important, the European Parliament asks for liability provisions, meaning that uh, this legislation will also have an effect and will have, have some teeth. And it's not just an empty shell, but also basically um, really chain, 
put some pressure on, on the companies to change their behavior. And so it would basically be a duty of companies, right, to directly prove that they have put systems in place to prevent violations of these rights. Yes, absolutely. Um, the companies will have to check um, in their suppliers, but also going down the different tiers, if there is um, risks and if there is problems um, when it comes to human rights violations. And then they have to prove that they try to mitigate those risks. And only if they don't do it, then they basically have a problem at the end. Um, uh. If they can prove that um, they took um, this like duty of care seriously and they put some action in place, then of course they're also not responsible for everything that happens on the globe. So um, I think it's important to say that companies sometimes are a little bit afraid of this legislation, but it's very clear right. that what they will have to do And they will not be responsible for everything that happens on the globe. It's, I think it helps them at the end to really, really check how their supply chains are organized and if there's really big problems in their supply chains. Can you maybe give an example of one element that companies will definitely need to check themselves? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the most known example, uh, at least in Europe, is always um, this accident that happened in Rana Plaza. Um, a textile um, factory um, that basically, uh, where basically a lot of lot of um, people working there um, got killed, um, over a thousand um, in Bangladesh, and um, I think with a new mandatory due diligence, this would not have happened because all the big German or European companies who were buying from this textile uh, company would have checked the basic things, like is there emergency exits, is there like some provisions against fire, and so on and so on. So like very basic things they would have been needed to control, uh, which they didn't do right now, because now they're saying, okay, this is not me operating there, it's just a supplier, I don't have any responsibility. So this is one very concrete example would, which would have changed. And you mentioned it uh, briefly, but basically all companies that operate in the European market will be uh, subject of this legislation, which means not just European companies, but also foreign companies, let's say, importing in Europe. Yes, absolutely. This is at least what the European Parliament wants, because I think it's important to create a level playing field and not only apply to EU-based companies and also avoid any like just artificial move around of headquarters. So I think every company that is operating on the EU single market needs to um, abide to those rules. And this is a very, very clear statement in the European Parliament's report. And I hope also the Commission will pick this up. Um, so I think, again, we will have a little bit this so-called Brussels effect where like the European Union sets standards that um, also have an in impact on, on other companies in the world, but I think a positive impact. And so what are the next steps in this, in this procedure? So you said that in June, July, the commission should make a proposal? Yes, indeed. So um, yeah, first we will have a vote in the European Parliament on our ideas on how this legislation will look like, but this is not a legislation yet. It's just um, a, a resolution. We hope that the Commission will take up a lot of our ideas um, from this resolution. Um, the Commission also did um, a stakeholder consultation where I think more than half a million of people um, took part, or stakeholders, which is really amazing, shows the huge interest also of 
um, people in the European Union at this legislation. Um, and then indeed in June or July, the Commission will come out with a proposal, which will then go to the normal legislative process, meaning to the Parliament, but also to the Council. And usually it takes, if it goes well, one year or so after which uh, the process is, is over or is finalized. But uh, sometimes it can take longer if there's big uh, fights, for example, in the Council. This is very hard to predict. Yeah, of course. Um, and what do you think would be or what are already the biggest point of contention, let's say, like the most difficult aspects to negotiate of these instruments? Um, yeah, we had um, uh, a lot of discussions um, in uh, the European Parliament. Um, I was, for example, also responsible, so-called shadow rapporteur in the Committee on International Trade. And of course, the little bit more pro-business um, members of European Parliament were concerned about the SMEs. They were concerned that um, also now the very small companies have to do all this, they say, bureaucratic exercise. So a little bit the scope was the question, which companies um, uh, for starting from which size will be included in the legislation. And this could come up again. Then, of course, the question of liability was very much debated. Um, but in the European Parliament, we have now um, a kind of a majority for that, which is really, really positive. And I have the feeling also the commissioner in charge mentioned several times that he wants to have liability included. But this is very contested. For example, in the German legislation that is uh, also up and coming now, um, the government at the end decided to kick out liability after the pressure on of the business community because um, they didn't like it. And then a third um, point, a sticking point, could indeed be the scope again. Like, is it only um, applying to tier one or will it cover the entire supply chain? Yeah, in the parliament, we are very clear on that. But again, if I compare to the German law, There, the business community successfully lobbied to kick out um, the, the, the far-reaching scope um, that it's applicable for the entire supply chain. And, and in terms of scope is also, I mean, this law applies to every sector of production. I mean, is the due diligence law going to go much into details or is this something that comes afterwards? Yeah, um, it will be indeed a horizontal legislation covering all sectors. And I think this is good because there is, of course, more high-risk um, areas or sectors. But of course, um, due diligence would need to be implemented also in all sectors. And there's problems in all sectors. So I think this is very, very good. Um, there is some discussion on additional sectoral legislation. Um, for example, the EU will also come up with... Um, legislation on deforestation-free supply chains. And I think in some sectors it makes sense. For example, if you look at deforestation, there is, of course, a very concrete, very specific problem attached. You have to really specify what is a deforested area, was it deforested five years ago or ten years ago, and so on and so on. So there, sometimes it makes sense to really have an additional sector legislation where the risk is very, very high. Well, I mean, this is a perfect cue for the next question that I had for you. Uh, we said that the law is probably going to take some time to pass, the law and due diligence. Uh, it might be one year, it might be more. Obviously, in the meantime, there are other policies that the European Union is working on and that are related or operate in the same space, let's say. And so I'm thinking of 
in particular about the new uh, trade agreement between the European Union and the Mercosur countries. So Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay and Venezuela. The Juncker Commission in June 2019 uh, concluded a new uh, trade, well, a new agreement um, uh, that has been very contested since then, um, especially on uh, environmental rights, but also on human rights with regards to the indigenous people that live in the territory. Uh, just briefly, the um, the deal increases EU imports um, of products such as beef and soy, uh, whose production has been um, directly linked to deforestation. As well, in the, in the trade agreement, there is no legally binding mechanism to make sure that um, practices like deforestation or other harmful practices for the environment are prevented. As these things go, um, go forward at the same time, so you know, on one side, we have the due diligence mechanism that has been discussed and obviously all other policies linked to the Green Deal and the, uh, trade agreement negotiations like these go on and it is spontaneous for me to think like how do we reconcile these things are there implications of one thing to the other um and i know that you've been very vocal on the eu mercosur trade agreement as well so i wanted to ask you yeah if you could expand a bit on that and also tell us if you think that the due diligence policy creates any political or legal implications for um, existing and future trade agreements Yeah, um, thank you for your question. Um, probably I quickly start on the Mercosur agreement and then I uh, expand a little bit to the second part of your question. So indeed, as you said, um, we um, as Green Group in the European Parliament, but we are absolutely not alone. Um, we have um, at the moment also a majority in the European Parliament that is very critical of ratifying the Mercosur agreement as it stands. The Mercosur agreement for me is just one of the many examples um, of international trade agreements that are not yet designed in a way um, that they fit with our ambitious climate and Green Deal goals. Um, the Mercosur Agreement is yeah, probably the most epic example, but I, I want to stress that I think many or all the trade agreements at the moment lack uh, sustainability, um, enforceable sustainability criteria and often contribute to more CO2 emissions. So we have to absolutely redesign um, how our trade um, policies work. With the Mercosur Agreement, indeed, um, the pressure from, for example, the European Parliament, but also civil society and other groups um, and some member states um, led the Commission to um, renegotiate at the moment uh, with the Mercosur countries to some additional um, whatever declarations or preconditions. And so we are at the moment waiting and seeing a little bit um, what the Commission will come up with. Um, for me, it is very important that um, it's not only um, something greenwashing, window dressing, some non-binding declaration, which will not change anything. It has to be something meaningful. Um, this is what we are, we are trying to achieve. Um, the Commission in that context is always saying, yeah, yeah, then we will also have the mandatory due diligence legislation in place and we will also have the um, um, deforestation-free supply chain legislation in place. So all the negative effects of the Mercosur Agreement can be mitigated by our own, uh, basically, uh, legislation. And I think, indeed, these two pieces of legislation that we discussed will help to also um, 
absolutely mitigate a little bit like the the negative effects of some trade agreements, but still, I think um, also the trade agreements need to change and, for example, have enforceable sustainability human rights uh, mechanisms or standards in in the agreement. Um, so, so you need both. Um, this is what I want to convey. You need to have legislation in place that helps, but also change um, the trade agreements. And so in this case, it would mean basically to reopen uh, the trade agreement and to reopen negotiations or to just add something to the current text of the legislation, let's say. Yes, I mean, uh, my favorite option would be to reopen it and add um, really strong safeguards against deforestation on environment and so on. Um, or if an, an opening of the text is absolutely not feasible to, to add something that really is enforceable. Uh, if there is, uh, I think lawyers have to look at it, but I saw from a lot of other trade agreements, for example, with Vietnam, um, that the commission just attached a non-binding declaration on, on human rights that has absolutely no effect. And this is absolutely This is what cannot happen. It looks like it is uh, an intention of all the EU institutions to, to make this happen in a way. Uh, I mean, recently the US has published the review of its trade policy that underscores the ambition to make EU value chains sustainable and fair for the environment and people. But many elements of the review have to do with future trade agreements. And you were mentioning that many, if, if not all, trade agreements are not compatible with our climate ambitions. In practice, how do we streamline environmental and human rights protection in the existing trade and investment agreement? Does it mean that we reopen all of them? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Um One thing that the Commission is proposing is quite good. They want to um, really evaluate existing trade agreements and really check the impact on, on, on the environment and on CO2 emissions. I think that's quite good. Um, but I think this evaluation would also need to a renegotiation if we find out that there is a negative effect. I'm quite sure that, that we will find out that there will be a negative effect. Um, for me, it is very important. We are in the midst of negotiating a lot of trade agreements that are not being finalized at the moment. And the commission was always saying, no, no, all the nice environmental and climate stuff can only um, uh, be applicable to new agreements. But there is not so many countries left in the world with which we, with which we are not negotiating yet. Uh, yet. So um, for me, it is very important Uh, that the Commission especially looks at those countries with which we are negotiating already. And it's really almost every country in the world. Um, and this would have already a huge change, I think. And is the, what's the role in, of the EU Parliament in, in this whole process? In, in general, the, I think the European Parliament um, had since the last elections uh, 2019 become more green. And you clearly see a change in the European Parliament, I think, when it comes to climate politics and uh, yeah, implementing the Green Deal and so on and so on. Um, so I think the Parliament has put also a lot of pressure on the Commission and stated in several resolutions that we want um, to have the trade policy be, be aligned with the Green Deal. But at the end, the problem is um, we have no say on the mandate. We have no say on the negotiations. We can only at the end... Um, say yes or no to 
to the agreement after it had been already negotiated, and sometimes for 20 years, like with the Mercosur countries. So the pressure is always very, very, very high on the individual MEPs that they say yes and that they don't um, basically um, destroy 20 years of, of negotiations. But of course, it's, it's hard for us because we can never put table amendments. We can never really... Um, or it's hard for us to make the commission change um, the course. So we also have a little bit of a democratic problem here, I think. The options are, are limited, let's say. Yes. Well, good yes. luck. Uh, it sounds like there's lots of work uh, to be done uh, still, but at the same time that uh, the direction um, is the right one. So thank you so much for being here and in general for, the, for all the work that you're doing in this, in this field. Uh, with pleasure. Thank you for the uh, discussion. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.